Now, I'm sure everyone in the room at some point or other has heard the story of the blind men and the elephant, right? Well, I'm sure you know that story, the blind men and the elephant. It's a kind of famous story. It's a story that has many different versions, but the same main thrust. Do you know it? You do know it, yes. Uh, there are supposedly six men, six blind men in the ancient world, and they hear that an elephant is going to be passing through their town. And these blind men are excited about this. They want to know about an elephant. They want to know what it is, what shape it is, and so forth. So what do these guys do? They gather together and they inspect the elephant uh, by touch. The problem is obvious. They're blind. And they're stationed at different parts of this animal. So their conclusions about an elephant, they differ greatly, don't they? Isn't that right? One blind man touches the tusk and concludes that an elephant is in the shape of a spear. And then another man touches the side of the elephant. Oh, no, an elephant is in the shape of a wall. Another touches the tail. No, an elephant's like a rope. Another one touches the elephant's leg. No, an elephant is like a tree stump. And so it goes on. And so it goes on. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that something very similar to that can happen with the purposes of God, the great plan of the Almighty God. I wonder if you see what I mean. Let me give you some examples. Some in churches throughout London today, so blinded that they conclude that God's great purpose and plan is merely to increase their material prosperity. That's his great plan. Other people take a different tack, perhaps they are more dejected, maybe some in here, and they think, ah, God has no purpose or no plan at all for me in this life. Other Christians, they touch only the tusk. See, no, God's purposes are just sharp, that there's only pain and suffering ahead for the people of God. Do, do you see the idea? We can become so blinded by sin and circumstances, even as Christian people, that we get God's plan wrong. We incorrectly interpret God's purpose, the purpose that he has for his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, what I want us to do is this. You ready for it? I want us to remove the blindfold. I want us to step back and I want us to appreciate the elephant in its entirety. You see, I want us to step back, to lift off the blindfold and to marvel at God's great plan. The big picture that God has. The great plan that God has for his church. For you, his people. And to do that... What we're going to do is we're going to turn and look at Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis 7 together for a short time together. If you're visiting, I'm going to say to you what I say to the congregation every single Sunday morning, and that is, would you please have the portion of scripture in front of you? So if we have it there, it's page 5, it's Genesis chapter 6, and have it, because we're going to refer to it in our time together just now. And we're going to do what we nearly always do, and we're going to look at three elements of this. So if you're taking notes, as some of you are doing, there are three points or three headings to capture. So we're ready to go. We've all got, we've got Genesis ready in front of us. Okay, the first thing that we need to think about here, and genuinely need to wrestle with, is the reality of God's justice. Don't we need to wrestle with that? 
the reality of God's justice. That's the first thing we need to consider here. Now, often when I'm preaching, I will assume a certain degree of knowledge from a congregation. Isn't that right? So often I will assume that you know certain parts of the Bible, certain chapters of Scripture, that you'll know it well. Now, sometimes that's correct. Sometimes maybe it's not correct. Surely I can do it today, can I? Surely I can assume that from the youngest person here to the most elderly person here, we all, even if this is the first time we've ever been at church, and we've all heard and known as art, right? We know this story, don't we, everybody in here? Though not many people are nodding their heads, I'm going to take it, that we do know this story rather well. But here's the thought. What exactly is this story? Now, do you see why that's a question? You see, some people in history just kind of discard this story, knowing the ark, as just being a fable. You know that, don't you? Like some people just say, no, this can, we can ignore this story because this is just an example of, it's another example of ancient Near East flood myth, like Gilgamesh and all these ancient, just another example of that. So we can ignore that. Some people say that. What else do some people say? They say that this is just a story for kiddies. It's not right. So many people think knowing his ark is just so that we can teach some kids some really bad songs. Like the animals went in two by two. And I won't sing it for you, but you, you get the idea. Or it's a song to teach the kids about where rainbows went. You know, it's a myth or it's a kiddies. Right? Is that what this is? Well, let me affirm to you as strongly as I can. First thing, the obvious thing to say to you is that, well, actually, this is a factual flood. We're dealing with it. And you have to, if you're a Christian, you, you have to deal with that. You have to wrestle with that. that. That God, did you notice God presents this to you in Scripture as an historical event? Did anyone pick up on that? Like God actually dates this event for you. So the, the obvious thing I could say is that this is historical. This is real. We're dealing with an actual flood here. That's not what I want to linger on. No, I want you to appreciate this. What is the story? What we have here, partly, is a warning. And it's a warning from God. But what God is doing in the early years of creation, if you want to see it like that, a time where there perhaps there's not as many people in humanity, not as many people living on this, what God is doing is providing here in this flood a warning, a shot across the bows of humanity, warning all of coming humanity that sin and wickedness and evil will be punished and dealt with in the last. It's a warning from God. Now, as I say those words to you, what's your first thought, friend? Like, is it to sort of think, actually, no, it's not, Andy. Like, this is a story of a flood, and it's an ancient flood. I get that, but this has got nothing to do with a final judgment or anything like that. No, you're just, you're, 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 you're getting a bit excited. This has got nothing to do with God saying that one day he's going to deal with sin at all. No, right, yeah, Andy, it's nonsense. You're saying that? If you were thinking like that, I've, I, listen to this. Let me read something to you, okay? This is what the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew's Gospel. Now, Jesus, at this point in Matthew's Gospel, is speaking about his return, He's speaking about the time when he's going to come and he is going to who, to judge humanity. What does Acts say? God has set a day when he judge he will judge the earth with justice by the man that he's appointed. Now, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is talking about that coming day. You ready to listen to this? 
What does Jesus say? How does he describe that coming day? He says this. Ready? As in the days of Noah, so will it be on that. As it is in the days of Noah, so will it be on that day. So it's not just me. You understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing a parallel between this event and that final judgment. Now, you, come on, please, think about that for a second. Think about it. The Son of God sees this universal flood that we're dealing with, a flood that lasts 40 days, the scriptural number of totality. He sees this flood, a flood that in a way represents, doesn't it, a sort of return to pre-creation times with the waters covering the earth. The Son of God sees this event as a prefigure, as a shadow of a time where God will judge sin and wickedness. Is everyone with me? Does everyone see it? This is a warning and a warning from the almighty, eternal God. Here's the deal, though. I don't know some of you this morning. It's a joy. Some of you are probably here for a baptism maybe later on in the service, are you? And other people are uh, passing through London. Maybe some of you are just on holiday, are you? And that's a wonderful thing. But it means that I think right now we have to deal something very serious. I think we have to actually deal with the most common objection to what I'm saying. What's the most common objection? What's the question? The question is, is any of that that I've said, is it fair? Isn't that the question? Like God judging sin here and in the last, is that a just thing? Well, do you know what? I'm, I'm, let's deal with it. I mean, let's tackle it head on. So here's the question for us. Like, if this is a foreshadow of, is there anything in Genesis 6 or 7 that speaks to the justice of God? Is there anything here that speaks to God's justice? Now I'm just going to lay in front of you just now, just two things for you to think about. First is this. You see the people in Genesis 6, they were forewarned by God. See, I don't know if you like this story or not. If you're a Christian, if you like it. Is this one of your favorite Bible stories? Is that certainly one of mine? As a kid, I loved Noah and the ark. I was brought up in a Christian home. Christian parents. Uh, we were brought up in Inverness. And we had a kid's Bible kicking about in there. And I still remember it. And as a kiddie, I used to absolutely love running through uh, to the music room or the living room area where the piano was. And there was, there was, there was the book, the kiddie story Bible. And I remember loving to turn to Noah's Ark because I can still picture that giraffe that was in the ark. You can still see it and the rainbow and all that. I loved it. Do you know what? I loved it, but I found it really frustrating, the story. Because it didn't tell me what I wanted to know in a sense. Like it didn't tell me I wanted to know. I wanted to know. See these people on the earth. Did they know that a flood was coming? Did they? Like, did they know that they, were, they, they, they could be punished for sin? Like, did they know? And my story Bible didn't tell me that, you know. And I wanted to know it. And then Genesis six doesn't tell me that, and I was so frustrated. And then, do you know what? It wasn't until many, many years later this happened that at home again, Inverness, much later, I was flicking through my Bible. And I got into Second Peter in the New Testament and I read something that blew my mind and answered that question for me. Maybe you know what it is. Do you know what Saint Peter says? There God does not, he speaks about Noah, but does not describe Noah as a man of righteousness. What does he say about Noah? What, what does he call Noah? He calls him 
a preacher of righteousness. Did you see what that means? you see why that blew my mind? What does it tell you? It tells you those people in Genesis, they knew. Like they, these people were told about this. They, they were forewarned. But now you've got to think about that. Will you not just analyze and think about what that tells you about God's justice? Listen to me. It means this, that not only did God delay. Did you see that? I mean, a long, long time has passed since, since Genesis chapter 3. God has delayed this punishment and sin so that these people would turn back to him. Turn Not only has he done that, what else has God done? God has actually sent them a prophet, a preacher, somebody who's specifically tasked with telling them about God's righteousness, specifically tasked to call them to repentance that they might be saved. Doesn't that speak to God's righteousness? Doesn't it speak to his justice? These people were told. Then I said there's going to be two things here, really quick things. Second thing we've got to deal with is this. The punishment in Genesis 6, whether you like it or not, it was warranted. Now at this point, I, I'm going to ask you to work with me here for a second. Would you, would you find verse 11? Of chapter 6, verse 11. Did everyone got it? Maybe even the boys and girls can see if they can find it. Verse 11. Now, see by verse 11, what you have to understand is already we have been told that there was just the most horrific sexual abuse and sexual immorality prevalent in the world. We've already, that's the knowledge that we've already been told about that. And then you look at the words in verse 11, and you can't look at them. What does, what are we told? We are told the earth was corrupt in God's sight. That is some divine analysis of humanity, isn't it? Now read on, look at it. It was a place filled with violence. You know, the idea that there was brutality. Friends, do you see at least this idea that it was just a wicked, wicked place? I mean, this was, this was a place where people were not just acting wickedly towards one another. In so doing, what they were doing is acting in wickedness and evil towards a holy and good God that had created them in their image. Now, everybody here, surely you, you, you see how wicked, like, are you still sitting there thinking, is this just? Is this fair? Then if you are thinking that, do you know what? I have to turn this back to your friend. I have to ask you a question because what else should God do? Really? I mean, if God is pure and God is holy and he is righteous, what else should he do? Don't you see that you have that moral quandary to deal with if you object to, to that? Because from where I stand, God has to deal with this. I mean, God, okay, he can delay his judgment and punishing wickedness, but don't you see he has to punish wickedness if he's good? Because anything other than that, if he turns a blind eye to it, what is it? He is complicit with the evil, isn't he? If he just turns a blind eye at the wickedness, he's actually cooperating with this evil at hand. Now, at this point, I guess what we could do, right? We could we could address an application for the Christians in this room this morning. 
Maybe already, if you're a Christian, you recognize from Noah, do you, an application on your life. I mean, think about it. If prior to this flood, God calls this righteous man to go into the world and preach righteousness, then in advance of this final judgment that God, what's, what's your task? What's my, what are we to do? Hmm? Are we not to preach the good news to the lost as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that, isn't that the application here? That we're to go and tell people of the righteousness of God and of the salvation of Christ and of, and of the consequences of sin? Isn't that the task in the church? And we could, we could open that out, couldn't we? But really, truly, this morning, I want to speak to you if you are not a Christian. Because maybe this is really difficult for you, is it? If you, you're not in Christ and not the easiest portion of scripture in the world. I need to ask a really simple thing. See in that description of the earth in verse 11. What is it that strikes you about it? I mean, let me, let me give you it again. So rampant sexual abuse and sexual immorality. What else was it? What was the, it was corrupt. It was, it was brutality. There was violence. What, what, what strikes you about that? I mean, is it, does it not sound incredibly familiar to us in here? as we look around our society and our world. And maybe it's there that the penny drops and things become clear to us. Is that not right? Because isn't it the case that we just need to look to Sri Lanka this morning? Or you and I just need to think about what happened in Christchurch? Or maybe we just need to look at the evil that we are capable of? and the wickedness in our own minds, and the wickedness of our own hearts. And if we do that just for a second, and if we do it with honesty and sincerity, what becomes clear? God not only was just in Genesis chapter 6, but God will be entirely justified in his holiness and his righteousness on that final day when he punishes sin and punishes wickedness. And you should be so thankful Because what's happening right now? God delays that punishment and that justice. And he does so that you might turn to him in repentance and in faith. We see here the reality of God's justice. Okay, second thing we need to look at here is the refuge of God's salvation. The refuge of God's salvation. So it's bleak, is it? It's bleak. Do you think at this point, Genesis 6, we've got flood waters covering the earth. But since you all know the story, you know that there is a ray of light. You know it, don't you? Even the boys and girls know the ray of light. That there is a vessel uh, on the waters... So that flood is not universal in its devastation, that some people are saved from this. Now, let me speak to the boys and girls ever so briefly, and let me ask the boys and girls the simplest question that I've asked them in a number of months. So this is not a difficult question. And now I've set it up that you can only fail, you know? So you have to get this one right, boys and girls. You ready for it? So what was this vessel on the water's called was it noah's boat 
Some say yes, some say no. Was it boys and girls Noah's yacht? No, was it Noah's kayak? No, it wasn't, was it? What was it? Go on. Yeah. Noah's perfect. Noah's ark. Now, not just being really silly at this precise moment, it is a strange word, isn't it? Noah's ark. And it is, I think I'm right in saying that this, there's, that word is only used one other time in the Old Testament scriptures, and it's used to describe the basket that the little baby Moses was popped in. And it's a word that suggests the idea of being enclosed or entombed, you know, this. So when you think about the ark, you're thinking about a sort of uh, chest-like kind of, you know, a coffin-like, you know, vessel on the waters. Everyone got it? An ark, enclosed idea. Now, from the earliest of times, it's a wonderful thing to think about this. This Christians have recognized what it is that this ark represents. So from the earliest times, Christians have recognized that this ark points us to the refuge, the deliverance from judgment that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you recognize that. The ark points us to the refuge, the salvation of Christ. So here's the question we deal with here. Ready? If this is about salvation, this points us to deliverance in Christ. What do we learn from the ark about that deliverance that we can have? What do we learn from the ark? How are we going to tackle this, right, just now? Well, do you know what we could do? We could think about the security of the ark. How secure it was. Could you look at verse 14 with me, please? Let's look at how the ark is built. You have a look at the details here. I mean, they're not here just randomly. They're here for a reason, Do you you see verse 14? We're told, first of all, that the ark was made of gopher wood, which is most likely, although we can't be 100% sure, but most likely cypress. So it's a wood that's renowned for its its water resistance, being waterproof. The ark was waterproof. That's good news for a start, isn't it? They notice how the ark was sealed and finished. You notice the detail there? It is it's emphasized that it was covered inside with pitch and it was covered outside with pitch. So it's secure. Scripture's screaming at you. It's secure from the elements. It's covered in pitch. And then the detail that I love best of all here. So you've got to go into chapter 7 and verse 16. I think you have to turn the page to get it, do you? Maybe. Look at this. Oh, what a phrase. Do you see it? How do they, how is the ark closed? Like we're wondering, is it going to be secure? Is it, look, the hand of the Lord shut them in. Like, do you see how emphasized it is? This, this is safe. And, and friends, what can we rejoice in today in Christ Jesus? What do we know to be true? Hmm? Christian friend, what do we know? That just as this ark sailed, you see at the end of chapter 7, this ark sailed high on the waters of judgment. In Christ Jesus, you are secure. Do you understand? You are safe evermore. Safe never to face the judgment of God by the cross of Christ. You, You are safe and secure. So we could rest in that. Do you know what else we could do, friend? We could linger on the sheer scale of this vessel. I'm, I, I'm guessing that most in the room have heard a sermon on this account in scripture before, have you? I don't know if Reverend Perkins has preached on it or not. I preached on it a long 
time ago, but I'm sure that some of you have heard Noah's Ark preached. Now, if you've heard it preached in another church another time, here's my second guess. My guess is that the preacher has emphasized just how massive this ark was. That's right, maybe. Well, guess what? I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to emphasize that too. Because I really need you to appreciate this was Mahusif. I mean, this was gigantic. So I've spent good time this week trying to find parallels to, to point you in the direction of a building or something that's going to show you how... And I pretty much entirely failed to do that. But you understand, this is big. And you understand that we're talking about like football pitch size dimensions here. And maybe even football stadium size dimensions. Like this is one that, 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 that's accurate and incredible as well. We are talking about aircraft carrier scale water displacement when we are talking about the ark. I mean, isn't that, I mean, this is, this is, this is massive. Now, here's my question for you. Why? And I think we know, we know, we know the obvious answer to that, the practical answer to that. It has to be massive because there's a lot of stuff going into the ark. Like all the birds and you say that, don't you? All the animals and all the people, the, all the, the animals, the birds, the provisions, everything. All, yeah. Yes, that's right. But isn't there a spiritual dimension to this? The ark was huge. The ark was massive. Why? Is it not all that I can say to you if you're not believing this morning? That there is room for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, I hope you understand. I hope you're not sitting here as an unbeliever thinking, this is not for me. This cannot be for me. I'm saying to you, it's massive, the deliverance of Christ Jesus. It is big enough. The blood of Christ is sufficient to save you from this. There is accommodation. There is room. There is space in the deliverance that Christ Jesus offers you today. I mean, we could linger on the security. You're secure in Christ and the scale of this. Come to Christ and rest in Him. But I want to do something slightly different. You see, last summer, my family, my wife and I had the holiday accommodation of a lifetime for us. Like usually, like when we go to France in the summer, where we stay is basic. Like the adverts on, on these places don't maybe suggest that it's basic. But I've come to realize that rustic is French for rough you know really it must be that's the extent of my french rustic means rough right so that's usually what it's like not last summer like we were able to secure last summer a really small flat it was a tiny tiny little flat but it was in the most amazing location and it was perched right on the mediterranean sea i mean i can't stress how small it was but it was amazing so every morning i could get up we were staying in the living room, which gives you a size of an idea of how small it was. But you could see nothing but ocean. Like this massive patio door. And it was just nothing but ocean. There was no houses. Now, do you know what struck me about that? And really quite striking was how incredibly busy the Mediterranean Sea was. Like to use good Scottish parlance, the Med was hoaching. 
Like it really was. Like you had in the far distance, you had all these tankers going back and forward, back and forward. Then you had nearer, you had ferries. And they were sort of shuttling people from one island to the next, right? Then you had the Russian oligarchs in their super yachts and so forth. Then you had the fishermen in the local village. Then you had the guys in their sailing boats, the windsurfers and the kayaks. And then you had this, I mean, it was so busy. It was absolutely hoaching as you're looking out this vast ocean just full of people. Why tell you that? So that you appreciate that it was nothing like that on the floodwaters of Genesis chapter 6. Wipe all of that image out. And that God had not commissioned a plethora of arcs. You understand as you in your mind's eye envisage those floodwaters, there was but one vessel of salvation on those waters. One vessel of salvation. And then you notice this little detail about the construction of the ark. See, everything here, God demands that there are multiples of, multiples of everything. So God says to Noah, you have to have various decks on this ark. There's got up deck, middle deck, third deck as well. Then God says there's got to be loads and loads of different rooms in the ark. You know, there's got to be partitions, lots of different spaces. And yet, what do you notice? One door. One point of access. Now, despite the fact that you're boarding from the land, despite the fact that there is so much stuff that needs to get in, so much traffic needs to get into this vessel, God demands there is one door, one point of access. Surely, surely you hear what God seems to be screaming at us from this portion of scripture. Friends, there is but one, one way of salvation. There is but one place of deliverance from the coming wrath and punishment and judgment of Almighty God. And yet, you might be sitting there this morning and still not sure of that. Is that where you're at? Not sure if this gospel is really the only way to salvation. And today you might be buying into that lie that the world sells. You know that lie that is really only about being sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you really believe it. You'll be saved. Or that other lie that all the religions of the world, you take them together, they've all got this little nice neat sort of circle of commonly held beliefs. No. No, but you might be wondering, is this really true? Is Christ Jesus really the only access, the only way, the salvation of God? You thinking that, then you must hear these words. These are the words of John chapter 10, the words of the Son of God. We ask, you ask, are you, Lord Jesus, the only point of access to salvation? And Christ Jesus says to you today, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the door. Friends, please see this morning that there is but one vessel of salvation. There is one point of access. And who is he? He is the Christ, the Christ of God. So we've seen the reality of God's justice and the refuge of God's salvation. And in a word, and most briefly, the third thing, the last thing, God, the reward of God's grace. The reward of God's grace. Do you agree that that idea is lovely? The idea of the ark, 
It's one that's always fascinating me. I love it. The idea of the ark pointing to this refuge, God's salvation. Isn't it? I love that idea. But I think it's maybe just, just ever so slightly dangerous in a way. I think it's so beautiful that we could miss here in Genesis 6 and 7 another critical redemptive thread in this portion of scripture before us. Maybe you already see what it is. Do you, friends? That it is not just the ark, but it is the main protagonist here that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? It is not just a vessel, but it's actually Noah himself who is pointing you this morning to the glory and the greatness of Jesus. Maybe, look, look, look at verse 9. You'll see, you'll see it if you have not already seen it. Look at verse 9. Do you see it? Is it true that Noah is portrayed to you as being different and, in fact, unique from all of the rest of the inhabitants of the earth. Isn't he different to everyone else? Do you, do you see the details? We're told that he is righteous, blameless, right? Surely anticipating the holiness, the sinlessness of Jesus. Notice the other details. He is one who walks with God, just as the Son has eternally done. Do you notice as well, he's one who is in covenant with God, just as the Lord Christ has fulfilled the stipulations of the covenant for us. And then the most critical one, you've got to get this one, look at it, that just as Noah is the one who enables his family to be rescued, that his family are rescued on the basis of Noah's righteousness, what is true of Christ Jesus, that he rescues all who are identified with him. Christ rescues from judgment all those who are in a familial relationship with him by repentance, by faith. Surely we rejoice, do we not? It's not just the ark, but it's this man Noah that points us to a deliverer, a man of righteousness. Well, I just want to close. Just thinking about where this man of righteousness, this deliverer, is taking you, Christian friends. Where are we being led by this man of righteousness? See, um, a couple of days ago, I went for a walk with my kids. There's a wood up beside our house. So we went out for a quick walk. And if you've got little kids in your family, you know what happens when you go a walk with little children. They ask you questions. They do all the time. Now, usually you're walking with the kids and they're down beside you and question, 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 question. Usually it's questions about horses or ballet dancing or inevitably there's questions about football fired at you as you're trying to enjoy this, this walk. Okay, not this time, right? Not this time. We're walking and suddenly we're walking along. I get bombarded with questions about heaven, right? Now, I'm expecting another question about like Tottenham Hotspur's back four. And I, I, I'm getting like, where is heaven? You know, what is heaven like? You know, questions about... Now, I was delighted about that. I'll tell you why I was delighted. Isn't it the case that even in here, even in the church, even amongst the people of God, we seem to get heaven so utterly incorrect and utterly wrong in our mind? Don't we? I mean, okay, I'm not saying that we've got the same ideas that we're all where, oh, it's a cloud... And we're playing a harp. 
Mary, Mary might be in a cloud playing in the heart, but the rest of us will not. Like, we, okay, we don't buy into that idea, but isn't it still the case that our thinking about heaven is still so kind of vague? And isn't it still sort of ethereal? And it's kind of, it's, oh, we're going to have like a really long praise service in the sky. Isn't it kind of like that? Well, this morning I ask you, Christian friend, do you not see a message here from the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. Do you not see a parallel? Friends, what's happening? Our great deliverer, our man of righteousness, today is leading us to a beautifully renewed earth. Is that not God's great plan? That yes, God, by this man, this Christ Jesus, this great deliverer, is taking us from judgment, but is he not taking us to a new home that is entirely cleansed from sin, a new and a perfect land? And I think if you engage with me just for a moment, you see it, don't you? Think of it ah, just as Noah What would happen as the story goes on? Just as he would step forth out of this enclosed, coffin-like vessel. What has Christ Jesus done? That having dealt with the justice of God and the judgment of God on the cross, that he would step out of that enclosed, coffin-like tomb, and he would step out as the first fruits of a new creation for us to follow. Isn't that right? Just as Noah's family would follow this man of righteousness. Isn't that true? Isn't it? But just as Noah, you must have seen a second Adam type figure here. Isn't he one with three named sons just as Adam did? One who has this special dominion over the animals just as Adam did. What is true of Christ? Is he not our last, our final, the last Adam, the one who will be recognized with dominion over all things? And all people, what does Hebrews tell us? This man of righteousness, this deliverer is leading many sons to glory. And so I wonder, Christian friend, this morning, can you now step back and can you now appreciate the elephant in its full entirety? And can you not again appreciate God's master plan and his great picture? Because what is a God doing? He is rescuing us. And why? All to take us to himself that we might inhabit a new land. And so I end with an appeal. First to the Christian in here, lift up your eyes. Do not be so consumed with all of these these worries and situations and circumstances of your life. Lift up your eyes. Raise your gaze. Remember, focus on what God is doing. He's rescued you in Christ. He loves you so much. He's delivered you and he's taken you home. And then, of course, an appeal to those who are not Christians. Now, surely it's the case this morning. That there, Genesis 6 and 7, gives you pause for thought, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you ask the question, where will I be when the judgment comes? Don't you ask that? Where will I be when the rains start, when the waters come? Where will I be when God deals with the punishment and wickedness and sin? And then surely you, you, you go from here and by repentance and faith, Don't you ensure that the answer to that question is, I will be in the ark. I will be 
in the ark of God's salvation on that day. And why? All by the work and the ministry and the spilt blood and the faithfulness. All by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be that his name today is praised. Let's bow and pray. Gracious Father, we tremble. We tremble when we come to Holy Scripture and to a portion of Scripture like this. Your word declares that one day all of humanity will recognize your greatness. One day all of humanity, either willingly or not, will be in praise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the man you've appointed for true justice. We recognize this morning, Lord God, that you judge sin because you are truly good and holy in a way that we are not. And so, Lord God, we ask only on the basis of Jesus that you show grace. Would you lay these things truly on our hearts and especially for those who, as they came into this room, did not know Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.